It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Galatians 5 verse 1. Amen. How many of you knew that Luther was not in fact Martin Luther's birth name? Did you catch that piece of trivia in the front of the bulletin this morning? Martin Luther was in fact born Martin Luder with a D-H. In a modern German, that's apparently kind of a mild obscenity. It probably didn't mean what it does now, then, but it does seem that it had some sort of connotation of dirt or trash. It makes sense that Martin Luther would have wanted to change his name. This was actually a very common thing for academics to do in that time period. To show off their academic prowess, they would change their birth last name to its Greek or Latin equivalent. There's another famous German theologian from that time, a co-worker of Luther born Philip Schwarzert, which is German for Black Earth, who changed his name as a professor to Philip Melanchthon, Greek for Black Earth, and maybe that's the name that you know him by if you know some Lutheran history. Martin Luther's name change, unlike Melanchthon's, was not a translation. He found a Greek word, eleutherus, that sounded somewhat like Luther, his German last name. And that word eleutherus in Greek means free. Martin Luther, Martin Dirt, became Martin eleutherus, Martin Freeman. And the name Lutherans, therefore, literally means free people. I'll come back to that idea. Let's talk a little bit about Luther again. If you've attended this church or most other Lutheran churches for any length of time, you've probably heard about Luther and his life at least once a year, around this time of year, when we celebrate the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. No one knew that it was beginning, though, when it began. Martin Luther was not yet the great reformer. He was relatively unknown in 1517, but I think we sometimes overstate how lowly his position was. Luther was the department chair at the university where he taught. Luther was not just a monk, he was also a supervisor of other monks. In fact, he oversaw 11 monasteries across two German territories. He wasn't a nobody in 1517, but he still wasn't really a somebody. When Luther first became a monk, he was tormented with the thought that he would never ever stand righteous before God. Righteous, that's a word that's important to unpack to understand Lutheran theology. It's a biblical word first. A righteous person is innocent and loving. A righteous person does not harm others, they are innocent, and a righteous person actively helps others, loving. God declares in the Bible that a righteous person can run to him and live. Luther was terrified, as we all should be, of his sin. He knew that he was not innocent. He knew that he did not love enough. He did not find righteousness when he looked at himself. He did not see someone who would be safe before God when he looked at himself. Now, the Catholic Church had a way for Luther to deal with all that terror and guilt, though. He was to confess his sins to his priest and then be given absolution, forgiveness. He still had to perform penitential actions, of course, the stereotypical examples being saying some amount of Hail Marys or Lord's Prayers. Modern Catholics officially state this about those penitential actions. Whatever penance you're told to do by your priest, it's only a token because Catholics believe that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is what made atonement for our sins. Your penance is for your benefit, to remind you that God comes first and you come last. That is verbatim a Catholic explanation of penance. I'm not going to try and dive really deeply today into the arguments Lutherans and Catholics have over our teachings on confession, absolution, repentance, penance, forgiveness. Now I am certainly able to, and you all know a Lutheran preacher would love nothing more than to argue with a Catholic, but all I want to say today is that whatever the Catholic Church's official teaching was on the subject or is on the subject, Luther found no real hope or comfort there. And I have met too many Catholics and ex-Catholics who feel that same way. The beautiful word hope that the Bible uses to describe the sureness of salvation which Jesus gives us, because that's what hope really means, this surety, 
but that word gives no comfort. I was told by a woman who grew up Catholic that she still, years after joining a different church, couldn't hear that word hope and get anything comforting out of it. Catholics are told to hope for salvation, not that they have the hope of their salvation. There's always fear. Luther was trapped by his guilt and his fear. He was kept prisoner by it. He would confess everything he possibly could to his priest for hours, and then on leaving he would run back because he just remembered something else and needed to be sure to confess it, because he never knew if he was saved without confessing, and he never knew if he'd confessed enough. If you've ever asked a question like, what happens to someone if they die speeding in their car or drinking, and they never have the chance to be repentant, to be sorry, to feel sorry, to say sorry to God, do they go to hell? And that question, or a question like it, has really truly worried you? You might want to consider the possibility that you also are trapped like Luther was. That your freedom, your certainty, has been stolen by the same misconception about salvation that kept Luther running circles to make sure he'd confessed each and every one of his sins. Now, Luther had a good priest. There have always been good Catholic priests. I'm never going to be a Catholic, but I'll recognize that there have always been in that church, despite its errors, gospel preachers. Luther's priest was a man named Staupitz, and he set Luther free. He set Luther free by getting Luther into the Bible so Luther would see what righteousness really was. Again, the biblical definition of a righteous person is the person who does not harm others and actively helps them. Such a person is righteous, therefore that person possesses, the Bible describes it this way, they possess righteousness. That's what Luther wanted to have, righteousness. That's what he knew he did not have in himself. But because his priest, Staupitz, got him into the Bible, Luther read this passage, Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is what made Luther free. This is what made Martin Dirt into Martin Freeman. Not just a name change, but a real declaration by God of Luther's righteous status because of Jesus. Luther realized that he was never ever going to earn righteousness by feeling sorry, by confessing his sins. He saw that God was giving righteousness to him. This is what freed Luther from guilt, from terror. Luther understood what Jesus had really done. Jesus had not given him a helping hand. Jesus had not gotten Luther started off on the right path. None of those metaphors even come close. What Jesus did was raise the dead. He gave certain life where before there was certain death. Jesus paid for all of Luther's sins on his cross and rose to guarantee that Martin was going to heaven. And what Jesus did for Luther is what Jesus has done for you. Your sins, whatever they are, are forgiven. You are saved. You have been freed. Luther understood this. It was something which took him some time to wrap his head around. You see him working publicly through these ideas in the 95 Theses. It was a serious perspective shift. To understand that he had been freed from the terror of guilt and sin, it was an even more serious perspective shift to understand that he had not only been freed, but made free. Maybe that seems obvious. They literally mean the same thing, right? If you're freed, of course you're free. But let me tell you, that is not always a connection that people readily make when they hear the gospel. We may be aware that we have been freed from guilt, but the natural human mind will wheel about to find something new by which it can be imprisoned. The Christian church has always struggled with this. In the early days of the church, the question was whether we should still live under the Jewish ceremonial laws. Circumcision, no pork. In Luther's time, the really good Christians were told that they should go into monasteries and nunneries. In our country in the last centuries, many Christians have taken the stance that no good Christian ought to play cards, dance, go to the movies, drink, smoke. When we had our own church body of arguments about things like guitars in worship, or whether a pastor must wear a robe, we're failing to realize that we are free. That's what Luther is talking about 
where he wrote in the first hymn we sang this morning, Lord, curb those who would wrestle your kingdom away from Jesus and bring his work to nothing. Our natural sinful hearts always want us to do exactly that, to wrestle the kingdom, the church, away from our Savior and set up our own rules in it. Here's where my sermon text comes in. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul writes there as one who has been freed from himself, freed from his fear of God, freed from his proud natural mind, and set free to love his neighbor. With Paul, we are also free, free even from ourselves, free from our natural slavery to our own tastes, our own pleasures, our own preferences, and free to serve others with the gospel that brings this real, true, eternal freedom. Free to live under what Paul calls Christ's law, the law of love for neighbor, love born out of the total freedom from the sinful self that Jesus worked by uniting us to his death and resurrection and baptism. If we forget all that, we don't deserve the name Lutheran on that church sign out front because Lutherans are free people. Freed and free. Lutheranism has nothing to do with a certain style or a specific heritage. Lutheranism is about what God has done, turned guilty dirt people into righteous free people through Jesus. Lutheranism is about law and gospel. We are sinners, we are saints. Lutheranism is about God's love shown in Jesus, a love which we share as those whom he has loved. Shared not because of penance, not because we're forced to, but shared because we can't stop it bubbling up out of us, can't hold back the springs of living water that well up in us to eternal life through the good news of Christ. That's Lutheranism. You freed free people. Happy Reformation Day. Amen.